The title of today's message is the ministry of the believer. There is a burden in the heart of God. There is a burden in the heart of God, even in this season. And that burden is one that has to do with the responsibility and the demands of the spirit of God upon us as individuals. The burden is that which asks the question from the heart of God about our potential. So today, the Lord is asking a question about the divine deposits that he has placed within us, about the divine deposits that he has placed within us as individuals. Every single person, every single individual, whether believer or unbeliever, has a potential, a God-given potential. There is a divine deposit that God places in the life of every individual. And it is the desire of God that every single person will rise up to the occasion and fulfill destiny, will rise up to the occasion and fulfill that which has been written in the volume of the books. There is something that has been written in the volume of the books concerning you. There is that which has been written in the volume of the books concerning me. Early this year, the Lord was speaking to me about a beloved man of God, a great man of God that I respect so much in the body of Christ who is currently alive. His ministry has had tremendous impact, and the Lord was speaking to me about the potential that this man of God has. The Lord made me aware that the potential that this man of God has is so, so great, and he has not even started to maximize the potential that God has given him. Although in the physical, we would look and say that this is a great ministry. If I mention the name, you definitely know who I'm talking about. In the natural, we would assess that and say that this man of God is doing great. He's doing excellently. He's doing amazing. But the Lord told me and he said, will he maximize his potential? He made me aware of the potential that this man of God had. And the potential that this man of God had was a potential to do about 10 times what Paul did in the Bible. Of course, we are aware that the Bible says that the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. God told me that the potential that he has given this man is about 10 times that of what Apostle Paul carried. But as that conversation ended, the Lord asked a question. He said, will he maximize his potential? Now, that is the all-important question that the Lord is asking of us today. The Lord is asking that question of you. He's asking that question of me. The Lord is asking whether we will maximize the potential that he has given us. There is so much, there is so much that the Lord has deposited within the church. There is so much that the Lord has deposited within us as individuals. And this message is a wake up call. A reawakening for us to arise to our responsibilities, for us to arise to our positions, for us to arise to and take our lots. For us to arise and realize our positions in the grand scheme of things. There is a grand design for the whole earth. There is a grand design for the church. There is a grand design for the kingdom. And in that grand design, we all have our positions. We all have our lots. We all have our territories. We all have that which the Lord has given to us as divine heritages. But the question that the Lord is asking of you and me today is whether we will maximize the potential that he has deposited within us. Last year, the Lord was speaking to me about a man of God, a general of faith, and he's one who has gone to be with the Lord currently. And the Lord said that he did not fulfill up to half of his potential. Out of respect and honor, the honor that I have and the respect that I have for this beloved man of God, one who has inspired me and one who I currently see as one of my ancestors in the spirit. Because when God calls you, there are people, there are fathers that he links you up to. And that is the reason why the Lord is calling us in this season to begin to redig the wells of the fathers. So he's one of those I call the fathers. The Lord was, was speaking to me concerning him and the Lord said that he did not fulfill up to half of his potential. Now he has gone to be with the Lord and he has received a reward, a wonderful reward, I believe so. 
But the Lord said that with all the work that he did, if I mentioned the name, you would know him. You may have read his book. With all the work that he did, he did not fulfill up to half of his potential. Now, that, that begins to make us aware that there is so much that the Lord is expecting of you and I. There is so much that the Lord is expecting of us. And so the, the question that is hanging over our heads today is, will you fulfill the God-given potential? Will you fulfill, will you live up to the potential that God has given you? Will I live up to the potential that God has given me? Will the potential, will the divine deposit of the spirit upon you as an individual be converted, be transformed, and be useful in the kingdom of God? Bob Jones, the prophet, a great prophet and a white eagle, while he was alive, he said that the present church, that is why he was alive, that the present church was currently functioning at 15% of the prophetic capacity that the church had. And so you could imagine that years ago, in the present church, years ago, the church was only living up to 15% of the potential that the Lord had given the church. There is so much that the Lord has deposited that we are not maximizing. And the burden in the heart of the Father is that we all shall arise, that we all will ascend and begin to live up to our God-given purpose. Earlier today, the Lord was speaking to me about, about us as, as a community. And the assessment that he was giving was that only 5% know their calling, have responded to the call and have been deployed. And then he now spoke to me about 15%. That 15% are already aware of their, of their calling and they are currently in the, in the process and they are working towards deployment. But there is 75% that are either unaware of their calling or are aware of their calling and have refused to ascend. This is a wake-up call from the Father for us all to ascend and to begin to live up to our potential. This morning, I had a divine visitation. I had a divine visitation with an angelic visitation. And while I was praying, and, and, and the angel came to me, and he was speaking to me, and then he gave me numbers. By God's grace, one of the accesses that the Lord has given me is access into the statistics of the kingdom. The Lord speaks to me by numbers. The angel showed me my potential, and the angel also showed me where I was currently at. It is nowhere close. It's nowhere close. If I mention the figure, you probably will need to Google it to know what that figure is. So it's not the usual 1,000, 10,000 and all that. There is a burden in the heart of God for the church, for the last day church to ascend. The time has come where new reference points will be raised in the church. The time has come where the Lord is now raising new reference points. You have heard of great men of God. You've heard of Smith Wigglesworth, Kenneth Hagin. I can mention the name R.W. Schambach, John Alexander Dowie. I can mention the name on and on, Bob Jones. I can mention the names all and on. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. There are so many great names that we look up to. But the Lord is saying that in this season, one of the things that he's doing in this season, one of the key assignments that the Lord has given to the church in this season is to raise up new reference points, new standards. So that when, when people are not talking about greatness, they will not only look to people like uh, in Nigeria, or Idahosa, or you can name other names, or in the US, General Adodowi and other men of God that have been raised in the US. And then in Britain, Smithugu Sport. Also in Britain, you, have, you, you hear of John Knox. So the, the list goes on and on. There are so many men of God that we now look to as reference points. When we read their biographies, we probably check Wikipedia or check Google, and then you just read and you'll be awed at the great things that these men of God have accomplished. And sometimes you may wonder, oh, can, can this present church live up to this? But the desire in the heart of the Father is that the church shall ascend and exceed that which has been done in the past centuries. 
There is a quick work that the Lord desires to do, and there is a, a, a strong call and a burden in the heart of God, which the Lord has now deposited within me, for us all to ascend, and for us all to rise up to our responsibilities. The ministry of the believer. There is a, a weight of responsibility that is upon the shoulders of the average Christian, of the average believer. There is a weight of responsibility. Now, just think of yourself. If you're watching me currently, just think of yourself and put your name in there. That there is a weight of responsibility that the Lord has laid upon my shoulders. Say that to yourself. Let that be your meditation. That there's a weight of responsibility that the Lord has laid upon my shoulders. Now, this is not to overwhelm you. Remember, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It is not to overwhelm you or to make you feel overwhelmed or to make you say that, oh, they have come again. They are now talking about us to do this, to do that. The one that they have prophesied have not been able to live up to that. No, that's not the point. God wants us all as a remnant, as a unit, to come to the realization that there is a divine deposit that he has given this apostolic community. There is a divine deposit that he has given to the last day church. And he expects us all to rise up to the challenge, to rise up to the occasion. For long, the, the believers have, have looked to the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the teachers. And when we talk about great and mighty things in the, in the kingdom or in the church, we, we just look at, oh, the apostles, they are there. The prophets, they are there. The evangelists, they are there. The great pastors, they are there. All these great men of God, they are there. But that is a misnomer. Because in the grand scheme of things, in the plan of God, it was never meant to be that way. There is a responsibility that those in the fivefold or fourfold, depending on whichever one you, you want to believe, and there is a responsibility on the fivefold ministry gifts, and there is a responsibility on the Christian, the average believer. And if we take a look at Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four from verse 11 to 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Notice what the Bible says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Who is to do the work of the ministry? It is the saints. The job description of those in the fourfold ministries is what? Equipping, like we see here. What is Paul saying? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. In other words, the average Christian is the one that ought to do the work of the ministry and these different ministries that the Lord have raised up, what, what are they? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, their responsibility is one that is primarily of equipping. So when God raises you up as a great prophet or as a great apostle or, or as a great evangelist, it is not for you to be great all by yourself, but it is for you to lift up others, to train others, to raise up others. Now, it is because of this misnomer and this lack of alignment to the plan of God that has caused past moves of God to be truncated. You hear stories, things, things happened. You know, this man of God, he just moved through the earth like a tornado. And then after he died, everything just died down. And then there was no continuity. And it is because there was no continuity in church history, that is the reason why we have now come to that point where the Lord has now called upon us to redig the wells of the fathers, just like Isaac did. There are wells that God has now called us to access, and these wells were once accessed by the fathers. It is now time for us to now begin to redig the wells of the fathers, because God desires that there be continuity. The job description that these different ministry gifts have are to equip the saints, to train the saints. This is why when Moses, before Moses left, he, he, raised, up, he raised up mighty men. Joshua was one of them, Caleb was another. And this is the reason why even in the early church, they raised up mighty men, other than the 12 apostles. And that is the reason why even after the Bible days, you begin to hear of, of people like Polycarp, just name them, different saints that God raised up at different points in time. 
as products of the past move of the Spirit of God that began with the early church. The Father desires continuity. And one of such ways that that can be accomplished in the body of Christ is by equipping. When the Lord gives you a gift, it is not for yourself. That is, that is clear, it's clearly written in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Bible speaks about the nine gifts of the Spirit. And then verse 7, I believe verse 7, now, now speaks about the gift being given for the profit of all. When God gives you a divine deposit, it's not for yourself, but for the equipping of the body of Christ, for the training of others. So the job description that this ministry gives have, the job description they have always had has been to equip the saints so that the saints will do the work of the ministry. This is the reason why someone like Stephen, who was not an apostle, could do those mighty deeds. So this is a wake-up call for us all to realize and understand that we have been destined for great and mighty things. That the time has come for every single person listening to this message to ascend to greatness. The time has come for greatness. The time has come for greatness. Thank you, Jesus. There are two prophetic pictures, two prophetic pictures in the Bible that I'd like us to consider. And these two prophetic pictures, they are an example of what the believer should do, what the believer's responsibility is all about. And these examples are taken from the Old Testament. So that us all in the New Testament church would realize that it is not just for a select few. But the desire of God is not just to do great and mighty things to a few people. Perhaps you may have heard Paul is a white ego. The arrowhead, the great apostle Adams, is, he, he's a white lion. You'd have heard that this is a white, this, this is a white that. You'd have heard different roles, different names, different functionaries. And then you may have withdrawn. So what is my place? It is the desire of God that none of us should be small and none of us should be little. And that is the reason why personally I have decided that I will not be small. If God has destined me for greatness, then I will be great. If he has called me to greatness, by the grace that he has given me, I shall be great. So this is a wake-up call for us all to know and arise and be aware that we are called and we are destined for greatness. So the first prophetic picture in the Old Testament that I'd like us to look at is from 2 Samuel 23 and 1 Chronicles 11. 2 Samuel 23 and 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Now, these two passages of scripture contain essentially the same message and is about David's mighty men. So for time's sake, we wouldn't be able to go through all of that because the list is long, 37 men. God has called us all like these men. But who were they? 1 Samuel 22 from verse 1 to 2 gives us insight into the identities and the states of these people. You are not selected from Judah. They, all of you are from Judah because the Judah is a legion of kings or, or perhaps you're, you're a descendant of Moses, you're a descendant of this person or that person. No. 1 Samuel 22 from verse 1 to 2. The Bible says, David, therefore, departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress. Now, this is the first insight into the kind of people that went to meet David in the cave of Adullam. He says, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and thirdly, everyone who was discontented gathered to him, so he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. So we see that these people were people who were in distress. They were in debt. They were discontented. In other words, these people were regular guys. They were regular human beings like you and I. It is not as though, like Moses, they, they saw an angel on the mount or some other great manifestation for them to know that they were destined for greatness. But these people were regular people. 
think of it. If you are if you are currently discontented about your current state in life, then you are like them. If you are currently in debt, if you are owing money, if you are owing money currently, then you are like them. If you are in distress, you are troubled for one reason or the other. There's been something that has been in your heart. You've been asking God for this, this prayer points, or you, you've had this expectation in your heart. You've been, you've been longing, you've been praying to God. God, when will I get this? When will I get that? Then you are like them. People like you and I who were in discomfort, they rallied around David in the cave of Adullam. This was in 1 Samuel 22. And then the Bible now says in 2 Samuel 23, these were David's mighty men. What happened? A transition took place from their current state to the status of being mighty men. How did that happen? The Bible said that so he became captain over them. David became captain over them and he trained them. He raised them. This was the reason why, even though David killed Goliath, four others after him killed four other giants. David here is a picture of the apostle, of the prophet, of the evangelist. And what did he do? He did the work of equipping. And these people were now equipped and they now did the work. To the point that even when David was old, what happened? They were, they were carrying him. They were carrying him and protecting him. Why? Because he had raised an army that no longer depended on, on his greatness, on his exploits for safety. This is a prophetic picture of the ministry gifts that we have in the church. You say you're an apostle. Where are the mighty men you have raised? You are a prophet. Where are the mighty men you have raised? David is a prophetic picture of this ministry gift, and he raised these guys into mighty men. And they did terrible things. Now, this is one of the scriptures that, that when I read, it gives me goose pimples. You hear of Adino, the first guy. You, you, you hear of Eliezer. You hear of Shama. And then afterwards, the, the Bible now goes forward and talk about the, the, the three other guys that broke through the camp of the Philistines. Because David had a longing in his heart. Who shall go and give me water from the well that is in Bethlehem? And these guys, they broke through the camp of the Philistines and then they went there and then they got the water and David poured it as an offering to the Lord. And so these people have been trained. They have been equipped. This is a prophetic picture of the average believer in the New Testament, of the average Christian, that you and I should be. And these people are destined for greatness. And in fact, when you read downwards, you will find that someone called Uriah was mentioned there. Of course, we all know the story of Uriah, how David took his wife. Now, the Bible gives us insight into his life and how that he returned from battle. He was supposed to go back, to, go back home to his wife. But he stayed in the palace. He said, no, how shall I go? When my guys are out there in the field, they are fighting, risking their lives. My place is in battle and not at home. Now, that is the kind of mentality and the mindset that someone from the 37 mighty men had. These people have been trained. They have been equipped. They have, they have committed to the process. Because when they rallied around David, it was not all rosy. Remember, he was hiding in the cave of Adullam. So it takes insight. Now, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. This is a prophetic picture of Peshwa's Apostolic Center. You may be wondering, you, you may look at the current state and, and you'll be like, Okay, we don't have 100K followers yet on PageMaster. We don't have this. We don't have that. You're probably looking outside. Oh, this man of God has over 100,000 followers on YouTube, on, on Instagram. There's so much things ha happens with this program, that program. And you want to go and identify, you know, with, with, with what is already happening and the, the in thing in the mainstream Christianity. You notice that these guys who were called mighty men, they had insight. They rallied around him when he was still in the cave of Adullam. They had insights into the potential that David as a leader carried. Now using PageMaster Apostolic Center as an example, God expects you to have insights into the potential that the arrowhead carries. By God's grace, I have had an insight into a glimpse of the potential that the arrowhead carries. And long ago, my tent has been pitched here. 
and this is my home. These were not men who were one leg in and one leg out. At that point in time, David was running for his life. So it was not all rosy. No, how many people were, how many people were, were coming to David? How many people wanted to identify with him? It was like an outcast. He was running from one place to the other. Saul was chasing him. He was running for his dead life. Things were not nice. But these guys, they stayed with him in the cave of Adullam. And as time went on, they were trained. They were equipped. They became mighty men. So we see two sides of the coin. On one side is the aspect of the ministry gifts, the pastor, the apostle, the prophet, that has the responsibility to raise the people. So if you say you are a great man of God and you have not raised a single great person, then you are not great by this standard. Because the Bible is our plumb line. And on the other side of the coin, we have the believers. And we will look at a better picture of the believers when we go to the next prophetic picture. The next prophetic picture that I'd like us to consider is that of the judges. The judges. I believe we've all, well, if you've not read the book of Judges, you would have at least heard of people like Jephthah, Gideon, Samson, Deborah, Barak, just, just keep naming them. People that God raised up to do great and mighty things in his house, to bring deliverance to the children of Israel. There are five important things I would like us to consider about the judges. For time's sake, we'll only be able to look at one example, which is the example of Gideon, considering the life of Gideon. And before we go into that, there are five important things I'd like us to consider about the lives of the judges and what they did and how God used them. So five things for us to note about the judges are one, the call of God. Who were those that God called? In the days of the judges, they were ordinary men. If you think of yourself as ordinary, you don't think of yourself as a great guy, or as a, you have a huge calling, you did not see an angel in your sleep or no, no, no angel appeared to your mom to tell your mom that my daughter, my daughter, the person you're going to give birth to shall be a great prophet, a great apostle. It, none of those things happened. Then you fall into this category. Ordinary people like you and I, God raised them up to become deliverers in the land of Israel. But it all began with the call of God. God called them. That was the first thing. There is a call of God hanging over your life. There is a call of God upon my life. The second important thing is the acceptance of the call. If they did not accept the call, then we would not have heard of their stories recorded in the book of Judges. Think of it this way. When you read the book of, the, of Judges, you would see that the Bible says that the children of Israel, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so he gave them to the hands of the Midianites or the Philistines or, or whatever enemy it was. And what now happened eventually? And the Bible would now say, and God raised up Othniel. And God raised up Gideon. And God raised up Samson. And he delivered the children of Israel from the hands of their enemies. That is the common story. That is the common denominator amongst virtually all the judges recorded in the book of Judges. So think of it this way. It is possible that Othniel in his days was not the first person that God called. When we read in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you will see the parables and you will see how God, how God calls people. This one will tell you that, oh, I am busy. I, I have cattle to take care of. I have this to take care of. I want to go and bury my, bury my dad. I, have, I just married a new wife. You know, I just bought a new oxen. I have not yet tested it. It is possible, it's highly possible that the judges were not the first. Each person there was not the first to be called. And it is the same thing currently in the body of Christ. The call of God upon your life did not just begin with you. There are people who God raised up centuries past, years past, even this year, who rejected the call, who refused the call of God. And then the calling 
probably came to you. The reason I say this is because I, I've had I've had divine encounters, visions after visions, dreams after dreams, where I have seen how lots that were meant for people, allocations that were meant for certain people were transferred to me. And if you've been following us months ago, one of the prophetic words that we shared on this platform was that God is giving mantles. We've been prophesying this since last year. God has been giving mantles. God has been giving allocations, divine heritages. There are people who have amongst us who have received the mantles of Catherine Kuman. There are people who amongst us who have received the mantle of people like John, Alexander, Adobe, Smith, Wigglesworth, hey, Allen, name, name them. The list goes on and on. There are, there are also other people other than these names that I have mentioned who God called but rejected the call. It is also possible that the call of God upon your life actually came to your father or, to, or your mom and they did not pick up the call. They did not answer the call and then the call came to you. The point is that it begins with the call of God. But the question is, will you answer the call? Will I answer the call? Recently, God gave me numbers of the percentages, the, the percentage of the people he calls, the percentage of those who answer the call, the percentage of those who eventually end up fulfilling purpose. He gave me different numbers in the kingdom. Those who end up answering the call, the percentage is lower than you would expect. And the percentage of those who end up fulfilling the assignments is also much lower than the former. The call of God is there. You may have seen no vision. You may have seen no dream. You may have had no divine encounter, but the call of God is there strongly upon your life. We have examples in scripture. If, you, if you're waiting for a dream or you're waiting for a vision, you're waiting for a divine encounter, you're waiting for an angel to appear in your room, that may never happen. But one thing is certain. The Bible says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before God formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you, he called you, and he gave you an assignment. So the judges, it began with the call of God. We will see that in the case of Gideon as we proceed. Now, after the acceptance of the call, the third thing I would like us to see about the judges was that they were faithful to divine instruction. That was a common denominator among, amongst most of them, even though we know that Samson, you know, we know the story of Samson, what actually happened, how his consecration and things like that, his involvement with Delilah and all that. But the common denominator amongst most of them was faithfulness, faithfulness to divine instruction. And Samson is there as an example for us to see that this is what happens. This is how it turns out when you are not faithful to divine instruction. An example of a divine instruction, we, we, will see that, we see that in the book of Judges a lot, but one, one simple example we can consider is that of Gideon and how Gideon trimmed down the number of men from 32,000 to 300. He had to follow divine instruction, take them to the stream, see how they drink water, and they were trimmed and trimmed and trimmed. People began to go home until it was reduced to 300. God ended up using 300 men to accomplish what Gideon thought 32,000 men would accomplish. That tells us that definitely, clearly, the way God sees it is totally different from how we see it. I've heard from people amongst us, I've heard from people out there who have received prophetic words and they, are, and they get overwhelmed. How am I going to live up to this? How will I do this? How does God expect me to do this? God does not expect you to get overwhelmed. It is only a clear sign that you cannot do it by yourself and you should rely on the grace of God. This is the next step. Faithfulness to divine instruction. And faithfulness is simply consistent obedience. Consistent obedience. So if you find yourself consistently obeying divine instruction, then you are faithful. Then you are faithful. You may make mistakes here and there. God is merciful. But faithfulness has to do with consistent obedience. Consistent obedience. The expectations to the requirements of God. So other than obedience, there is also the aspect of sacrifice and service. 
You cannot effectively fulfill the call of God without having a life of sacrifice or living a life of sacrifice. There will be many things that the Lord will place his hands upon and tell you that this one has to go and you will need to let go of it. And this is what consecration is all about. God tells you that this is how you should live your life. This is the divine instruction that I have given you. You don't even have to wait for a consecration. Even though that is sure and will come, but there are ways that the Lord expects us to live. God expects us to live a life of sacrifice. You belong to a church. You belong to this apostolic community. There is a life of sacrifice that God expects you to live. How is a sacrificial life? There is also the life of service. There is also the life of service. You may be called of God and you are not serving. I'm sorry, you go nowhere. You may have a great gift. You may have a great gift. You may prophesy. You may see visions. You may dream dreams. You may heal the sick. You may raise the dead. But for certain, certainly, you will not live up to your potential without service. I'm not saying this as a prophet of doom. I'm only saying this based on divine standard. Elisha was described as what? As the one that poured water on the hands of Elijah. Joshua, he served Moses. That sense of continuity is there. The 12 apostles, they served, served Christ. All through the Bible, you will see service being exemplified as the way of life, as the way to greatness. These things that I've mentioned, service, sacrifice, obedience, faithfulness, all four of them, they are key to ascension. God has said that this month is our month of ascension. But for you to ascend, these are four requirements that we have to meet to be able to ascend. A life of service. If you call, if you call a church your home, if you call Page Master Apostolic Center your home, how are you serving? A life of service, a life of sacrifice. Sacrifice of your time, your treasure, your talent, your temple, yourself. You can't call a ministry your home, and um, the arrowhead did not tell me to say this, but you cannot call a ministry your home and you don't give. You don't give money. You don't give your time. You don't give your talents. Come on. You're not serving. You're not living the life of sacrifice. And then there is that obedience that God expects. And then there is faithfulness. These are keys to ascending the mountain. For time's sake, I wouldn't be able to go in depth into all of this. If you want to know more about that, register for the School of the Prophets that will come up eventually this year, and then we'll, go, we'll dive into this a lot more by God's grace. The fourth point that I'd like us to note about the judges was that they had the supply of the Spirit. They had the supply of the Spirit. At five different times, it occurs five different times, <laughs> this phrase, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You'll find it at five different times in the book of Judges. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That shows us how they received the supply of the Spirit. It is also the supply of grace. Five, grace. Five is the number of grace. It is also that supply of grace for the assignment. So that is the deposits that now come upon us. There are potentials that are hidden inside all of us. But this divine deposit this supply of the spirit will come to reawaken it and give us so much more than we could ever imagine. And then number five, mighty deeds. We all know that the judges, they did mighty deeds. You find their names in Faith's Hall of Fame. You find their names in Hebrews 11. They did mighty deeds. Jephthah, Gideon, Samson, Deborah, it's all there. That tells us that we are destined for mighty deeds. Like we said, these judges were ordinary people. But they ended up doing mighty deeds. So this is your ministry as a believer. This is your ministry as a child of God. You are born for greatness. You are destined for greatness. This is not to motivate us. These are facts. Beyond the fact is a burden in the heart of God because God does not want the last day church 
to be taken over, to be run by superstars. The era of superstars has come to an end. If there will be superstars, then we all should be superstars. This is the desire of God. This is the plan of God. That from your family, your vicinity, your community, you become a messenger of God. That when a problem arises, you, you don't call, well, where's pastor? Where's pastor's number? Or where's the arrowhead's number? How can I reach him? We have this problem. We have that problem. This is the reason why in this apostolic community, we've had different series. We've had the faith series. We've had the kingdom series. We've had different messages that were meant to equip us. We've even had the supply of the spirit last year. These are messages sent by God as capsules to equip us and to train us as food for our spirits so that we will become mighty men in the kingdom. And I, and I can see in the spirit right now, someone is saying, ah, even me? Yes, even you. You have no idea. You have no idea. Let me give you an example. I, I never saw myself here as at 2021. Yes, 2021, I got to know, I got to know that I was called as a white eagle. I had always known that I was called as a prophet for many years since my teenage days, because the giftings were there. But in 2021, I got to know that God had called me as a white eagle. And from that time until now, the journey has been crazy, has been wild. It just shows me what would happen when you yield to the calling of God on your life. And God is looking for people that will yield. And these things that I've mentioned, they are the ways to yield. Looking at Gideon, Judges chapter 6 from verse 11 down to 23. Verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebin tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now notice that the reason why Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress was to hide it from the Midianites. What is the winepress meant for? The winepress is usually dug in a vineyard. There are biblical references. You find that in Isaiah 5, verse 2, Matthew 21, 33, Mark 12, verse 1. The wine press is usually dug in a vineyard, and it's there the grapes are crushed, and then from the grapes you have wine. So that is what the wine press is for. What is the threshing floor for? We also find that biblical references for the threshing floor. It is simply an open field, an open place. It is usually a hard surface where the chaff is separated from the grain by the impact of the wind that just blows. And what now happens is that the wind blows the chaff and leaves the grains. So this is the threshing floor and its purpose, and then this is the wine press and its purpose. But what we see here is that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. What that tells us is that this is a clear sign of oppression. Threshing wheat in a wine press is a clear sign of oppression. People may misunderstand such dimensions and call it process. It is not every hardship that is process. This one is oppression. A prophetic picture of process from these two things can be what? When wine, where grapes are being pressed or crushed in the wine press, that can be a sign of process. And of course, the wine has, is also a representation of, of, of the power of the, spirit, of, the, of the Spirit of God. And then we also know that the threshing floor, what happens there is a separation. And so that's what happens in process. The wine press and the threshing floor, both of them can be prophetic types or spiritual types of processes. But when you now have one activity being done in a different place like this, it is a clear sign of oppression because the Bible clearly says that while Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And so it was a clear sign of oppression. Verse 12 now says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You can imagine that this guy was hiding. Gideon, ordinary folk, he was hiding. He was hiding to ensure that he got wheat so that he can eat, perhaps him and his family can eat. But the angel of the Lord met him there and addressed him as a mighty man of valor before he could do anything 
before he could accomplish anything, before he could even be used as a deliverer, before he could become aware that God has called him to be a deliverer. What did the angel say? The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. This once again speaks about potential. When God sees you, he does not just see your flaws. He sees your potential. Hence, the angel of the Lord addressed Gideon by his potential and not by his flaws. That is the reason why you may think you're not good enough. You're not able enough. You are not the best. You don't have utterance. You're not fluent in speech like Moses. But what God sees when he calls you is your potential. And this is why it is now good for us to begin to look and, and, and perceive things this way, that if there's a calling of God, if God says that I am called, I am destined to do this particular deed or this particular thing for the kingdom of God, it then means that God has put something in me for me to be able to accomplish that. The right response should be what? Appreciating that, that God has given you as privilege and not shrinking back or feeling overwhelmed that this is too great. This is too awesome. I don't think I can do this. Let's leave it for the, those that are called as apostles, as prophets. You don't need to be an apostle or a prophet to do my great and mighty deeds. We've seen that in the judges. We've also seen that in David's mighty men. So God addressed him by his potential. God knew his destiny. We all know that. God knows your destiny. God knows your place. And so if anyone has, you've, you've, you've had a dream where you, where you saw yourself healing the sick and then you wake up, you, you're just there. You probably even have malaria or you have one sickness or the other. And then you're, you're battling, you're, you're taking malaria tablets until the malaria goes. Or you, you've had visions of seeing yourself doing great and mighty things and you're, you're, you're commanding forces of nature and then they are bowing to the power of God through you. Or you, you've seen yourself speaking to a huge congregation and people are giving their lives to Christ. But you wake up and you wonder, I've tried to speak to five people in the past five months and nothing has really happened. None of them has given their lives to Christ. What you saw was the potential, was the hidden deposit that is there for you. What you saw is a revelation of a glimpse of your place in God's grand design. So the appropriate response is to begin to take the right measures, to begin to take the right, right measures. And that is the reason why we had a school of discipleship recently. To begin to take the right steps to ensure that what God has given you does not go to waste. The level of wastage in the kingdom of God is terribly high. There are so many that have wasted the divine deposits. God is now asking, will you be among those who would utilize, who would maximize my deposit within you or will you be among those who will waste it? God addressed him by his potential. What does God call you? Do you know what God calls you? Perhaps you've not seen a dream, you've not had a vision, but God calls you by a name. There is a hidden name he calls you by, and that reveals your potential. Whether or not you know the name, it does not matter. But the fact is that there is a potential that God has given you. On the 7th of July in 2019, something happened. I was wrapping up a three-day fast and had a visitation. And in the vision, I, I saw my wife's two ovaries. And when I saw my wife's two ovaries, the Lord now spoke. And he now said, out of your wives, two ovaries shall come, Boaz and Jachin, and that they shall be pillars in the house of God. Now, this was over a year before we had Boaz and Jachin, twins. Of course, from biology, medical science, two separate ovaries implies what? Non-identical twins. They were born as non-identical twins over a year later. But the point there is that God called them by names, Boaz and Jachin. They shall be pillars in the house of God. That was a revelation of their destiny. That's an example of the fact that before you were born, just like Jeremiah, before you were born, God knew you and there's an assignment attached to your name. There's an assignment attached to your identity in the spirit. Now, moving on. Verse 13 now says, Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So Gideon was lamenting. Perhaps you, you, may, you may be like Gideon. You may be wondering, 
Oh, we've heard of the mighty deeds that God did through Apostle Baba uh, Ayobabalola in Nigeria. We've heard of um, Idahosa. We've heard of Smith Wigglesworth. We've heard of A.A. Allen. We've heard of uh, journalists at Adobe. Just keep naming them and the experts that they did. Because most times in conversations, many of us have had these conversations. You would, you would talk about the great man of God and you, you, you just feel goose pimples. In fact, I recently I was, I was watching a, a video of a man of God, he's a white eagle, and he was detailing exploits. And I was like, wow. Exploits are included. There was um, a, a natural disaster, and God told him of natural disaster. What are, you, what are you doing about it? You are here, and this thing is happening in this, in, this, in this region. Go and address it. He went. He addressed it. Before you knew it, the news carried it. A rain came. His fire has stopped. And he could literally speak to animals. He stepped on a, on a bunny and he, 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 was, he was touched. He was broken on the inside and then the bunny was going and he stopped the bunny and he caught the bunny and the bunny came back. And God used the animals as signs to also speak to him that they knew more than him in terms of the divine timing because the time had come for the manifestation of the sons of God. And so this is just one example. So it may be like Gideon, it may be talking of the fathers. They did this, they did this, they did that. Gideon did not know that he was destined for exploits. We today can now reference Gideon, but Gideon in his day, he was referencing them. But he didn't stop at lamenting. He accepted the call and then he rose up to become a great and mighty man. So like Gideon, who knew that there were those before him who had done great and mighty deeds, God has raised you up to be a solution to a problem. God has raised you up as a solution to a problem. God has raised you up to fill a void. God has raised you up to fill a space to fulfill a purpose in his grand design. Verse 14 and 15 now says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. Recall that from what he just said here, what he said here fits our description of the judges, the definition we gave to judges earlier. What did he say? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. He's not even the firstborn. I am the least in my father's house. This father tells us that the judges, they were just simple folk, ordinary people that God raised up to do great and mighty deeds that God raised up as deliverers. It is time for us to quit seeing ourselves as small. This is one of the things that the Lord did in my life last year. In 2022, I had different visitations where the Lord delivered me from, from smallness. And it became my prayer, it became, it became my declaration in faith that I quit seeing myself as small. And if you recall, last year, we shared prophetic words on this platform. We shared prophetic words about the greatness that God has called us to and the need for us to ascend and begin to see ourselves that way. Now we see Gideon state that he saw himself as small, as feeble, as little. But God destined him, just like us, for greatness. And the Bible says in Isaiah 60 verse 22, a little one shall become a thousand, and a small one, a strong nation. This is the desire of God for you and I, that the smallest among us shall be like David. Verse 16, and the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now, notice here that the Lord has given Gideon a promise. The Lord has given Gideon a promise. What is the promise? Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. If we recall from verse 11, where did the angel stand? The angel stood under the terebin tree. It was from this position that the angel began to interact with Gideon. And then right here in verse 16 and also in verse 14, God gave Gideon a promise. We have seen previously in the Kingdom series, we currently have the Kingdom series on, on YouTube, a wonderful series, I, I highly recommend it. You can go watch it if you haven't. Now in the Kingdom series, one of the things we saw was that the terebinth tree represents the family tree. 
But as we know in the Bible, symbols can have multiple meanings. We have first established that it represents the family tree, but there is also something else that the terebin tree represents. Now, Abraham had encounters in the plains of Mamre, where the terebin trees were. And you'll find that in Genesis 12, 6 to 7, 13, 14 to 18, and 18 from verse 1 to 10. In those different encounters that Abraham had, more than one, God gave Abraham promises. And we're seeing the terebin trees here again, and God is giving Gideon a promise. We have seen this in verse 14 and verse 16, which now shows us that the terebin trees are also the trees of promise. So the terebin tree also represents the tree of promise. Gideon now had the promise of God that God would deliver Israel by his hand. Looking at verses 17 to 21, something happened. Gideon brought an offering and the angel used the end of his staff to touch the offering and then it, it, it was consumed by fire. Now, there is, there is a parallel account of that that we find in Genesis chapter 18 from verse one to eight which was also around the cherubim trees, this time around of Mamre. And Abraham gave an offering just like Gideon. And if you now read from verse 22 to 23, you will now see that Gideon built an altar to the Lord. Question, how do we respond when God appears to us under the cherubim tree? How? Do we respond when God gives us a promise? How do we respond? What did Abraham do? Abraham built altars more than once. You find that in Genesis 12 and Genesis 13, he built altars when God appeared to him by the terebin trees and gave him promises. He built altars. And we now see the same thing that Gideon now did here. Because in verse 24, the Bible says, so Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. Gideon's response to the promise of God was what? Building an altar. What do these altars represent? They represent worship. So the response that God expects from us is one of worship. When God begins to give you revelations, when God begins to give you insight about your responsibility, about your call, the right response should be worship. And that worship is a statement of faith. You worship God because you believe, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 21, that by faith, Jacob worshipped. And so worship is a statement of faith. Worship that comes as a result of hearing what God has said about you. Come just worship God, just give him praise, give him glory, give him honor, thank him. Give him glory, give him honor, thank him for his promises concerning you. Give him praise, give him glory, give him honor. We give you praise, Jesus, we give you glory. Thank you, Father, for your precious promises concerning us. I'd like us to just begin to pray that not one word that the Lord has spoken concerning us will fail. Not one detail that he has written in his grand design, in a volume of the books concerning us will fail. That we will live up to our potential. That it shall be said, oh God, in the annals, in the annals of heaven, that Paul lived up his potential, that we all lived up to our potential. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. As an, as an extension or an expression of the grace of God towards us, as many that have no idea what their callings are, your eyes have not been opened. Your ears have not been opened. 
you begin to hear, you begin to see, you begin to perceive, you begin to know. Suddenly, things will begin to line up for you. You come to a position of alignment. You have now come to a place of alignment and you begin to know what God has called you to do. And the rest is now up to you. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Just give God praise. Give him glory. Give him honor. Just exalt him. Magnify his holy name. Thank you, Jesus.